Hey there, before I get started, I just wanted to say this is a bit of a longer interview than normal. I didn't want to cut it in half because it's tremendous. Janine Driver is a legend and she is completely vulnerable during this. She shares elements of herself that I think make her an amazing person. And I feel like we captured that. Plus, at the end, there's a surprise in there. Now, I talk a bit more about the interview and what I was thinking in the members area. And if you want to, please join, be a member. I'm going to be talking more about behind the scenes of videos and what I'm thinking, things like that. There'll be a link, I believe, up here. I hope I do that right. And enjoy Janine Driver. My name is Eric Hundley, and this is Unstructured, where we have dynamic and formal conversations with some amazing people. Today is a legendary day. I am with a legend herself in the whole body language world. Um, I wouldn't, I'd say human behavior world. I'm with Janine Driver, and you don't only do body language, you do a lot else. How are you doing today, Jean? Janine? Good. How you doing, Eric? <laughs> <laughs> New tongue. I'm just breaking it in. Uh, <laughs> would that be a fair statement? Uh, one thing as I'm looking at you is you do body language, but you also seem to be very performance art oriented. Like you teach people not only how to read other people, but I'm not sure if you're familiar with Mark Bowden, but I see a little of similarity there where he's teaching people how to project, how to hold themselves well and, and open up when they're given a corporate speak and things like that. Where would you say you fall in that spectrum? Well, I'm in his, his current book that came out not too long ago. He had me write a, a piece of it. So it's a, it's a big compliment. I love Mark Bowden and along with the behavioral panel, which I know you had on and Lena and Michelle, a whole bunch of my people that I love with all my heart. Uh, definitely. I say I teach people, uh, I call it emotional intelligence made easy, okay. how to read human behavior. So it's not just body language. I'm, I, I would say I'm known for body language, but my specialty that most people don't know about, I, I've trained with like some of your other guests and statement analysis, a splash of handwriting. Uh, but my other specialty is something called movement pattern analysis. Just like we have a fingerprint, Eric, we have a movement fingerprint, a behavioral fingerprint, and how we move our bodies, all human beings on planet Earth, move our bodies in 12 specific ways that connect to how we make decisions. You were telling me earlier you're introverted. Uh, if, in fact, that's true, uh, there's a couple movements that go with that. So we think there's extroverts and introverts. There's actually four interaction styles. And 85% of us are in a style that most people don't know about. 10% are in another style no one's ever heard of. I've done four TED Talks, and my fifth TED Talk will be on these two interaction styles no one's ever heard of, and it's connected to movement. So mm. it's called movement pattern analysis. You move in a pattern that can be analyzed. I'm a profiler on how people make decisions. So I don't know if you can see my roots. I, I don't know how you can't not see them. Uh, I'm Irish, so I've been gray since I was 20. I'm now 50, and now the brown and gray are coming in. And so with movement pattern analysis, I can I can tell you to be uh, more detail oriented, Eric. You mm -hmm. listen. You constantly have typos. You know you got to be more detail oriented. I can send you to a class. I can buy you a book. You can I can sign you up for Udemy classes. How to be more detail oriented. You'll change for about six weeks, and just like my roots come in every six weeks, you're <laughs> going to go back to your authentic self because it's connected to movement. 
So really, if I want you to be more detail-oriented, I would have to say to you, Eric, when you're talking to people, instead of talking like this, I want you to face your hands everywhere your eyes go like a smart bomb. So you're like, Janine, guess what? You're never going to believe who I interviewed the other day because this movement here connects with people who are detail-oriented. I can sit next to a stranger and spot them by how they're talking to their friends. And I'm like, oh, smash me over the head because detail-oriented people drive me a little nutty. I want to land the plane. I'm motivated to get things done, to get shit done. And like, why does it matter? Get it done. Which means, you know, I'm going to have some typos here or there, but I'm not going to miss out on that opportunity. You know, I'm, I'm, you're interviewing me right now, and I just drove 12 hours from Maine <laughs> to here, and I have hiccups on the camera. It's not going to be perfect. I'm probably not that cute right now, but oh. you're going to get the It's not a date. I'm going through a divorce if anyone happens to be interested. But uh, it's, not, it's not a dating interview, right? So mm. it's about content. And so I'm motivated to act. And so people who are very detail-oriented, they research the research. They drive me crazy. But together, we complement one another, and we actually make a smarter team. So people in your life that are driving you crazy, your mother-in-law, your husband, your wife, your coworker, your boss, they're driving you nuts. I promise you, they have a corresponding strength to that thing that drives you nuts. That's their biggest strength. That actually makes you, together, make smarter decisions. So Yes, that's my that's my claim to fame. And I found out about it because I don't know if you remember this little part of the world, Crimea. It was being mm. taken over by like little green soldiers, they said. I'm holding a pen like I'm Bob Dole, by the way. So <laughs> I so th this I kept getting phone calls from CNN and Fox saying a report leaked from the Pentagon that the Pentagon was paying three hundred thousand dollars a year to body language experts to analyze Putin and Boris Yeltsin and all these world leaders on how quickly they're going to make decisions. Kremlinology. You know, what? It's, it's called Kremlinology. They've had that since yeah. the Soviet Union. Yes. Right. So there you go. So you know more than me. I don't know. Well, my college <laughs> went out after I graduated. So you're saying Kremlinology? I don't even know. It sounds good. I'm going to say yes. It goes all the way back to Stalin, where they would say this general was standing next to him before he was on the left now he's on the right and looking at placement of people to determine who's coming into power who's falling out of power who's potentially vulnerable and might be dead next week so get a hold of them it, I, i'm into some spy type of people that's too. cool well this is stiff so this is they were looking at putin how he moved so there's 12 movements this is different mm -hmm. and this isn't like where you stand and it's not stuff like steepling or chin grabbing or mm -hmm. shoulder shrugging it's um it's one is this is directing like if you think of um sherlock holmes with the magnifying glass right mm -hmm. so go like this with me go guess what janine guess what janine that's not directing now go guess what janine guess what janine with your hands guess what janine guess what janine right to the camera i can't see it oh, right well, there sorry <laughs> this is the difference so if you kept talking to me like that mm -hmm. i would say oh this guy's super detail oriented uh, trump I, I don't talk about politics, but I'll talk about President Trump just briefly, not his po politics. You you know Trump does this a lot, right? Yeah, he's like got when he talks. Yeah. So this is enclosing and spreading. So enclosing and spreading sounds kind of dirty. That's what she mm. said or he said. <laughs> but enclosing and spreading, all human beings do it on planet Earth, unless you're paralyzed. Uh, and it's connected with people who see outside the box. So they see things other people don't see. This is why you get Trump um, standing on a stage when he ran for president last time, surrounded by 200 pounds of raw meat. 
This is why you get uh, Trump going to the border to talk to Border Patrol agents. Are you safe? Are you not safe? What's going on? So, you know, Trump's greatest strength is that he'll think outside the box. But his biggest right. weakness is he'll introduce irrelevancies. But those those strengths and weaknesses are connected to his movement and connected to who he is, whether you like him or you don't like him. And people, every if I do talk about him briefly like this, mm-hmm. people try to figure out if I like him or I don't. It's, I'm an independent. I just it's want exhausting. someone to do it. It's exhausting. I just want someone to do it for a country, right? I wear my mask. <laughs> I know people who died from this coronavirus. It's not a political statement for me. And I voted on both sides of the aisle before. So... But movement, I can spot it. So I'll keep an sure. eye on your movement. And it's something most people don't know about. So movement pattern analysis. So I find out, they ask me if it's my company getting paid $300,000 from the from the Pentagon. I go, no, not now, but in the future, I'd like it to be my company. Yeah, there you go. Well, who do I sign up with? Right. I, I Google it. I'm like, I'm thinking to my husband at the time, I'm like, I'm praying, right? I'm like, please, please let it be in like Capri, Italy. Where I'm like, I have to say to my husband, sorry, I got to leave you. And we have three sons. I got to leave you and the boys. I got to go to Capri for, for two months to get certified in this stuff. Movement pattern analysis. It was in Italy. It was in Italy. It was in Chicago at Columbia College. And uh, I love Chicago. Chicago is where nice weather goes to die. Well, you, It's like warm on one end of the park. By the time you get to the other, it's hail. One of your partners lives there. Susan. Oh, yeah. Susan lives there. Yeah. She's a face reader. So she she mm-hmm. was telling me the difference between Ellen DeGeneres and Oprah. With the corner of your eye, mm-hmm. if your ear goes above it, if you take a straight line. So one, you'll go deep in conversations, Oprah. And then Ellen will keep it light and fun because mm-hmm. her ear goes up, I think was what Susan said, above the line. So I keep looking at everyone's line at their eye. Like, <laughs> do they want to go deep or not? I can't see your ears. They're hiding. So I there don't know. Go. She's already done a reading. You'll catch oh, it later. She what did she say about your ears? Um, I'm a visual person. Ears are lower. I'm fairly quick on the uptake, I guess. I hold secrets like a spy. Different things. It was interesting. Okay. Susan's a delight. I mean, she is fun. It's a lot to, um, a lot to definitely take in. Going back early on, you talked about introvert. And technically, I'm probably more of an ambivert. But, and that might be the 80% one you were talking about. The night everybody is pretty much. Um, I'm selectively outgoing. If I'm interested or I want to do something or I have a, a mission or place, then I'm more outgoing. If I am walking in to a bar, let's say, and I don't know anybody or anything else, I'm over in the corner by myself, um, very out of the way. So, you know, we'll go here briefly. There's sure. three stages of decision making, research, reasoning, and the result. So research is gathering data, it's getting details, it's Mm -hmm. sorting through it, categorizing it, researching. Then comes reasoning. These are where your pros and cons are. This is where, what are you willing to take a stand for? Your why lives here. You know, the Simon Sinek why is in here. Mm -hmm. The word because, the most influential word in the English language, right, is right in here. Because this this part of the decision-making, the middle part, it literally is where you make the decision. The last part of the decision-making is called the result. It means you've already not only made the decision, but you've executed on it. So uh, you said you're going to interview me. I said yes, Mm -hmm. right? So that happened here in reasoning, that middle section. It isn't, we do not go to the result stage three until right now when we're actually executing on our commitments. You got it? Sure. So you can be introverted here, extroverted here, an ambivert or what we call in my world versatile. (laughs) <laughs> which means you can be both extrovert and introvert, sure. same thing, different name, brand. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you could be something different in each one. And when you are, you're often seen as unpredictable because with gathering research, you want to brainstorm and you're calling everyone and you're really friendly. But with executing, everyone's going to the hockey game or out to dinner or they're going to someone's house for a holiday and you never show up at the work parties because you're extroverted here, brainstorming, introverted in that last stage, which is the result. So you can be something different. I happen to be what you were saying. I'm an ambivert, 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 or we say versatile, versatile, versatile. If, in fact, you're an ambivert and the people at home, if you're like Eric and you're like myself, where sometimes you're extrovert and sometimes you're introverted, I'm going to give your listeners the best tip ever. We, because we're both, Eric, we think it in our head in private, but we imagine telling our friends, our coworkers, the information. Your significant other gets a haircut. You're like, oh, I love my wife's hair. I got to tell my wife. I love her haircut. The next day, your wife wakes up and she goes, you know, I'm really upset. And he's like, why are you upset? She goes, I got my hair cut yesterday and you didn't even notice. <laughs> and the husband's like, yeah, I did. I told you last night, I love your hair. It looks amazing. Now, one of two things is happening. And he swears. He's like, I swear I told you. Either he's an ambivert or she's an ambivert. Because what happens is we slip from sharing and interacting with one another into privacy subconsciously. Mm. And so he could have really said, I love your hair, but she could have been present. You know, you talk to someone and you could tell they're not present. You know, they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I lost that like four minutes ago. Yeah, they slipped into their privacy. Or say we go to the grocery store and we're married and we're walking around and we're getting the peanut butter together and the jelly and the shrimp and, and you turn around and I'm nowhere to be found. You call me, Eric, and my phone rings in the shopping cart. I left it there with my wallet with you. I come back five minutes later with two organic rotisserie chickens. And you go, where'd you go? I go, I went and got these rotisserie chickens. The organic ones go fast. They only make like with them, you know, Eric. And you go, Janine, not a problem. Next time, just tell me. I was looking for you. It's not a problem. Just say I'm going to go get the chickens. So what do I say? You got it. I'll tell you. What happens next time we go shopping, Eric? Do I tell you? No. Because okay. it's a subconscious switch. <laughs> so the roots come back. I may do it one time and tell you, but these roots, these gray-brown roots, they're going to come back. And so you're going to, and now you and I are in couples therapy. And I'm saying as therapist, this asshole isn't even, uh, can I swear on your show? I don't even sure, know if I could swear. Beat me up. I'm from Boston. You know, I say I'm the <laughs> You're not a asshole though, are you? What? You're not a asshole though, right? No, I'm not a asshole. Although one <laughs> My, my husband was mowing the lawn and I look at my friend who was here visiting and I go, you know, my husband's not that much of an asshole. He's a nice guy. And she goes, yeah, you're the asshole. I go, okay, <laughs> awkward. I thought we were friends. But so this switch, now we're in therapy and I go, my husband, he's an asshole. He does whatever the hell he wants. We're hanging out in the grocery store. I just ask him nicely. Just let me know when you're going to disappear. He says, okay. And then he does it again and again. We're talking about buying a car. I think we should buy a car. Yeah, me too. You go and buy it the next day. I'm like, oh my, he's so self-centered. Whatever, we, we were just talking about it. We were negotiating, talking mm -hmm. about it. And he went out and bought a brand new computer or car or sold this or sold that. And that's that going from extroversion to introversion, that ambivert or that versatile. And 85% live here. Yeah, I'm guilty. And a lot of that too is that you're only bringing it up because you've already made a decision in your mind. Yeah. And so the what car, you need to do, computer. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're married to someone like this or you work for someone like this, you, how about you take responsibility for you and make sure at the end of the conversation, you say, listen, I know we're talking about the car, Eric, but hmm. I do not want you to buy the car. Okay. <laughs> we're discussing 
it, or you, you do a calendar, right? And you say, okay, it seems like you're making decisions. You think I have already given you the go ahead and said, yes, mm-hmm. let's write all of our decisions here. And we highlight it in a green marker when we both say, yes, we're ready to buy. So that way we both are on the same page because you're never going to change your roots. I've been coloring my hair since 17. You think my hair would start <laughs> catching on to become blonde. Why not just it's go not, gray? All gray. It's not catching program now it's yeah great just go the whole way then go go, go crazy do steve martin uh, no i have a five-year-old up to 15 like <laughs> as is i was playing frisbee with my au pair my smoking hot au pair from from argentina we're playing frisbee and the, the, the frisbee falls on the ground camping and i go jack he's my baby jack five jack throw me the frisbee some elderly man's walking in the campground with his dog and he goes listen to grandma oh. listen to grandma <laughs> don't worry about life Ouch. Ouch. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, one thing people can already tell about you is humor. And you've mentioned it different places. I read it all over and bios, descriptions, whatever, but I can't track it down. And I haven't found you actually talking about it. You did stand up comedy. Yes. You opened for some major people, but you really haven't shared this. So that's what I want to go for. Well, this is what happened. I used to share it. I used to have it in my bio and it's not, I don't think anymore. And someone told me, so I went from law enforcement, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, ATF. Mm-hmm. My dad said, I'm, I'm his daughter who turned her hobbies into a career, drinking, smoking and shooting. Oh, absolutely. Great agency. I don't do those things as often as I used to, Eric. Uh, so I did stand up for levity. I worked at the World Trade Center in New York City mm-hmm. and I only did stand up to meet funny friends. I'm from Boston. I live in Alexandria, Virginia now, outside of D.C., and I have Moxie, and I'm like, you know, I moved to New York. I didn't know a soul. I go, where can I meet the kind of people I want to be friends with? Mm-hmm. And I saw they had the learning annex at the time. You could take these classes, and it was like how to be a stand-up comedian. The last night you got to get on a stage in New York City. I'm like, how cool is this? You know, I'm working at the World Trade Center for ATF during mm-hmm. the day, this comedy class at night. Uh, and then I ended up opening eventually for just, just at the, at Stand Up New York, which is 78th and Broadway, mm-hmm. uh, opened up for Chris Rock, Robin Williams, Ray Romano, Caroline Ray. Uh, she was in my cup of tea, but the rest of them were really nice. I said her name wrong and she like crucified me on the stage, but I was mortified. Like I'm 25 years old living in New York city. Don't know a soul like knew at the comedy thing. And I said, Caroline instead of Caroline. And she she did a 30 minute riff session by 30 minutes. I mean, like probably one joke, but I was like, <laughs> I was like suffering in the back. I'm like, why I felt it. So, um, I'm sure she's a nice person. Uh, so I did stand up and then I ended up traveling around the country. I did it from Seattle to New York city. And, um, I used to perform all the time with Zach Galifianakis and with, um, mm. Oh, what's his name? Um, hot pockets. Um, Gaffigan? Hot Pockets. Jim Gaffigan? Yum. Jim Gaffigan. The- yeah, so Jim Gaffigan, yeah. Really? He was always my poser, so when I would host a show, he they probably both don't know me, but I have tapes here. It's so funny because I have a, a chess over here uh, from years ago, and I just took it out of the shed, and it's a bunch of VHS tapes from when I did stand-up, and I want to send it to one of those websites where they take your tapes and put it onto an electronic document, and I'm like, somewhere in here... I don't have any with the big celebrities because the uh, managers of Chris Rock, Robin Williams, Ray Romano, they take the tapes when they leave. Mm. So I need audience before them. The manager, whoever's with them, goes in and takes the tape. But I have it without a doubt with Jim Gaffigan and, and Zach Galifianakis. Well, the- which is 
cool, right? Big I names now. <laughs> I knew there would be big names. They were funny. That is that is awesome. So you you kind of took the Lisa Lampanelli route because she actually went to comedy class and school. And uh, I'm only bringing that up because there's a lot of people who are purists who go, oh, ugh, comedy class. Ugh, I spit on that. But yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. obviously a very viable route. And so that was why you were in the ATF. And then after you got out is when you started touring for a while. Yeah. So there was a comedy uh, manager over at Stand Up New York. His name's Tim Davis. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've heard of Tim Davis. No. But um, he, you know, this guy changed that. So comedy is really, uh, in the past, was a very male-dominated mm-hmm. uh, crowd. Because women would get on stage and talk about their periods and talk about their boyfriends and talk about all the shit we hear all day long at work. No, mm-hmm. no one wants to hear that. It's not funny. And so Tim Davis came along and, and, and took, he called, they called it Tim's girls. And every Sunday at stand up New York, we would have a six to eight hour class where he would make us stand on stage and someone would come up and insult us. I remember there was this fat girl named Nicole and I struggle with weight. I go up and down and she was huge. And I was standing on stage. I was probably like a size 12 then much bigger. Now I go, I did the ups and downs and she came up and her insult to me. I remember exactly where I was standing. She was finally, when you joined class, Janine, I was so happy because there was someone fatter than me in class. And I was like, mm. and you had to stand there with a smile and you couldn't give a dig back. And he taught us how to deal with heckling and he taught us how wow. to be smart with our comedy. And you weren't allowed to wear black. You had to wear bright, solid colors. And um, he taught us about the mic and he taught us about lights and paying attention to the room and the environment and the humans. And he said, if people are talking over there, you focus on two people who are riveted. And as soon as those two people, you love them. And as soon as they start laughing, four more people will start to listen. And now you've got six people listening. And now you've got 12 people listening. He said, instead of giving some dig, like, where'd you learn how to whisper a helicopter? Mm. You know, some hacked line, you know, fall in love with the people who are rooting for you. And he told me, you know, I didn't become famous. Although I have a great story if you want to hear it about. Of course. uh, When I met, the first time I met Chris Rock, it was a Saturday Night Live audition. So if you want to hear it, I'll tell you in a second. So, but Tim Davis told me, Janine, if you ever want to make money, take all this cool stuff you're learning at ATF. Take this stand-up comedy and become a speaker, a motivational speaker. You get a shit ton of money. Mm. And Corporate they're gigs. looking for education with motivation and comedy. So I had the hat trick. So that's what I do until the coronavirus hit. Well, uh, yeah, that's that's slowed down a lot of things. But that's just causing reinvention, Zoom and different calls and other I created a program, Emotional Intelligence Made Easy, Seven Levels of Reading and Influencing Human Behavior. It's nine months. I now called all my top clients and said, listen, it's $6,000 a month to $8,000, depends on what you want. But as I created a workbook, I worked nonstop for two months, crying, staying up to four in the morning, creating, it's going to be my third book. Harper Collins has expressed interest in it. And hmm. this wouldn't have come had I, you know, this whole, I don't have to travel. I'll make more money in the next 12 months than I've ever made traveling and hitting the stage. So it's just, it's at the price point smaller. I just get some more people and it's the same program. I'm just creating a specialized part on my website with their logo, their information, Mm -hmm. slapping their logo on the 300 page workbook I made for them. And it all happened because the coronavirus. You can scale. The, the, the fact is I, I know from another interview, you were talking about it because you've always done in person. So yeah. I have a feeling you made so much money in person that you had everything booked out and you couldn't step away 
this actually was a disaster that is a benefit because it forced you to, okay, now you're not going to do anything. So how about that scaling? And I bet after all this, you're not going to be doing as much in person. I'm not. As a matter of fact, I was just asked to do two events in person. I passed it along to other body language experts because I don't want to wear a mask for seven to eight hours going over to Vegas. I'm not going to do it. I'm fidgety. You can see me. I move all the time. I have sensory integration issues. So Mm -hmm. uh, I wear my socks inside out. I'm very, very fidgety. There's no I, I have a 30 minute max on the mask. Um, so I'm passing them up and I don't need to do it. I'm going to homeschool my two youngest sons starting tomorrow, first grade and kindergarten, not put them in front of a computer. Although I'm not knocking the parents that do that. That's awesome. I'm stepping up and, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to teach my kids. And I am so excited because I, last year, one of the times, Eric, I was gone 17 days in a row. Mm. I have little kids, like I'm looking at this as this slowing down. I mean, at first. I was, I was, I think I had a mental breakdown on a Facebook live. And by think, I mean, I did. <laughs> and, uh, and I realized my mother died of breast cancer. And when she had the, when she was first diagnosed with the C word, she said she'd feel bad for herself for one day and she'll never feel bad for herself ever again. And she didn't. And I'm like, listen, I didn't lose my career. My why is to inspire people to look at their world in a different way. That didn't change my purpose, my why, what I believe. Um, what I do is through emotional intelligence, body language, facial expressions, statement analysis, movement pattern analysis. The only thing that changes is how I'm going to deliver it. So m- a lot of speakers were, A, applying for these PPP loans, which is great. I didn't do that. Mm. I said, well, they, people were waiting for that money. I was, you know, t- you know, to the grindstone writing nonstop and creating this program. And most people are taking their keynotes and just turning it into a one-off a Zoom program, right? Well, they're not going to pay you. I, I charge thirty to thirty-five thousand if you call a speaker bureau for a one-hour keynote. Jesus, no one's paying you thirty grand for a one-hour webinar on Zoom. No. They want to pay in three, maybe max would be fifteen thousand, three thousand. I would say is the average. If you go from having a hundred events a year at thirty thousand dollars each, and now you're getting, you know, forty webinars for three grand each. Mm-hmm. And you're supporting a family, you're screwed. So for me, I did this program with longevity and I said, no, I don't want a one-off. And I, I'm trying not to sell any one-offs. I'm saying, no, here's this whole program. Mm-hmm. And even though it's seven levels, it's nine months long because a couple of the levels are complicated. So mm-hmm. it was, it's a blessing. All right. You want to hear this, this on night live story or not? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get it in. Right. <laughs> this way, the body language, they can, I've done a bunch of Ted talks. They can look at this, right? I mean, we could give a couple tips. But, <laughs> well, um, no, you're going to be coming back with the ladies, right? Yes, I can't wait. So this story is that I don't I don't tell this story a lot. Uh, Saturday Night Live auditions. Uh, it's my birthday, June 10th, and it was at the at the, at Stand Up New York, 78th and Broadway in New York City. I go to another club, do some stand up that night, and I get I don't drink today, but I get a little tipsy. Back this is mid 90s. Back in the mid 90s, if you were a stand up comedian, you you flirted with the bartender and you get free booze, right? Mm-hmm. So I had, I was drunk after my set. I never drank before. And it was Saturday Night Live, so it's packed. All the top comedians have to audition for numerous months, and then they get down to the top, whatever, 15, and they get to audition to the executive producer of Saturday Night Live. So I come in. I come in from the back, and this, it's booked, Eric. And on the, in the back corner, Stand Up New York is the kind of club you want if you're a comedian. It's dirty and grungy and dark, and the stage, mm-hmm. the stage, you know, Tight, the table. claustrophobic. Yeah, that's what you want for stand-up. You don't want mm. something really fancy, right? 
So, uh, or at least the blue comedians want that, which I would say I was a little bit. So anyway, I come in the back, there's, there's two, a man here and a woman here and two empty seats against the wall. So I scoot right in. I go, excuse me. The show's already begun, like halfway in. And I, excuse me, and I sit down. And they're pissed, as you might imagine. And they're like, oh. And I tap the woman on her shoulder. I go, excuse me. Um, can I have one of your cigarettes? You could smoke in the clubs. Can I have one of your cigarettes? She goes, oh. And he hands me a cigarette. I don't have a lighter. I was, this, I was the comedian that bums cigarettes from everybody else because <laughs> I'm a smoker, you know. I don't invest in the smoking. Mm. So I reach over, I tap her again. I go, excuse me, can I borrow your lighter? Again, she sighs. I go, listen, it's my birthday. If you want me to show you my driver's license, I'll show you. I'm from Boston. I'm here. I'm a new stand-up comedian. I'm doing the best I can. How about a little less attitude? I'm not home in Boston with my family. First time ever. I'm not with my family <laughs> blowing out candles. Instead, I'm blowing out your nicotine cigarette and you're hemming and hawing. A little less attitude, a little more enjoyment. It's a party. It's a party. <laughs> goes you're so funny what's your name and i go janine driver and she goes hey janine i'm i'm marcy i go hey marcy and she introduced me to the guy i go hi we're small talking while the comedians on stage right she's like how long, how long have you done comedy i go i'm new at it i'm like new in the game you know i work for law enforcement downtown at the world trade center and um and i go marcy now that we're friends can i tell you a secret she goes yeah i go chris rock is in the hallway he's gonna surprise the executive producer of saturday night live he hasn't seen her in a couple of years. He's going to do a set next. Get your camera. If you got a camera, get your camera. What does this Marcy do? She hops up, runs out in the hall to go talk to Chris Rock. <laughs> in front of like the packed house, right? She's up and running. And I look at her friend. I'm like, what's wrong with your friend Marcy? She comes back and she goes, by the way, I should probably tell you who I am. I'm Marcy Klein, executive producer of Saturday Night Live. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I named Calvin. I'm like, cut the shit. Like, <laughs> your name again? I go, I'm not telling you shit. I'm a new comedian and I just ruined Chris Rock's surprise for you. <laughs> I'm not telling you. And she goes, no, seriously. She goes, listen, when, when, listen, when Chris Rock is done, when Chris is done, I want you to do your set. I want to see you. I go, yeah, that's not happening. Yeah. A, voted. I'm like super drunk. Like, and B, Chris Rock is going to bump about five comedians Mm -hmm. who auditioned for the last numerous months for you to see them. But you're not going to, you and I know you're not staying here till one in the morning. They're the last five comedians are the ones that are going to get bumped. Mm -hmm. And they've told everyone in their family that they made it to be auditioned for you. The new comedian on the block is if you don't pick me for Saturday Night Live, I'm dead in this industry. That I go on stage after Chris Rock, the nobody that didn't audition. Yeah, that's not happening. She gives me her business card and says, when you're ready to be seen, call me and I'll come just to watch you. Wow. I love the card and I learned a valuable lesson. Those comedians don't give a rat's ass about me. Yep. They were scared. They would have been pissed for a little bit. They would have forgotten who I was. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I probably would have killed it. And I could have been on Saturday Night Live. But I think everything happens for a reason. This so that true. was my story. And then it changed my life. Now, anytime ask me someone, if you ask me to do something, I say, count me in. I, I'm, I'm a yes machine now. I'm a yes machine. So I say yes, yes, yes to everything. And so when I went to retire from ATF, I was there 17 years and I, I left to go to the speaking stuff. What's awesome. And you seem to, and maybe it's an observation, but you wear your heart on your sleeve. I mean, you, yeah. uh, I've, I've seen, you know, like some videos, you, you, you throw it all out there and I don't know if that helps you with empathy or it doesn't help you with empathy, but 
I feel like half of your emotional intelligence is that you're so raw that everything around you, you're just kind of perceiving, if that makes sense. Like if you're, if you're, if you have an open wound, you feel a breeze. Well, some people call it like an empath. Well, you know, my t- I've done a t- couple of TED Talks, four of them, and two of them have been watched by a couple million people in, the la- in a year mm-hmm. since doing them. And people will say, did you notice how she cries? I pacify my face. People say, do you notice how she cries on demand like that to try to manipulate the audience? When we meet in person, you'll realize I have two speeds. I have three speeds. Crying, funny, or pissed off. Mm-hmm. And I'm just an emotional, I don't know if it's because I'm a Gemini. Uh, I don't know if it's because I'm from Boston. I have a lot of moxie. Mm-hmm. Um, but people who don't know me well will say I'm, I'm a little intense. I know this about me. I'm, I'm I, this is called determining an increase in pressure. So when I tell a story, everyone thinks I'm yelling at them. You know, I think I've already pointed like 65 times to you. <laughs> uh, it's the story of my life. So, but people who know, truly know me will know I'm a, I am generous. I'm a healer and I use my comedy to heal and not to, I never want one person to feel, um, I don't want to get a laugh at the expense of someone else in the room. And so for me, um, I'm just an emotional person. So when I really relive my mother dying, I'll get, I can get emotional. Sure. Uh, or your but son in Thanksgiving, which is quite touching. Yeah. Or my son. Oh yeah. So you watched it. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. Like he tells me, you know, I don't even remember that day, mom, you know, like I, I'm just a super emotional person, which is funny. Cause my oldest son, Angus just told me last week, I go, what can I do to be a better mother? He's a teenager. He's 15. He goes, you know, if you could be a little less emotional, you know, you're either crying or you're screaming and yelling. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> well, there you it's go. Just too funny. But I tell him, I, I used to say, one day you might work for someone like me, Angus. His name's Angus. And now I say, one day you might have an employee like me who works for you. Because mm. I realized I don't want to set him up. I'm an entrepreneur. I want to set him up with the mindset that you will have a team of people that work for you and help your vision. Right. But I used to not do that. I used to say, one day you'll work for someone like me. Mm. And then I and I heard myself say it. And I go, you know, I always say. Maybe with is better. Yeah, I work with someone. Yeah, I want him to be an entrepreneur. He has great ideas. So That's awesome. And yeah. I, I wanted to bring it up, too, because it, it's just something I observed or I felt. And I go a lot by instinct. And you're sort of in a almost superhero type of position where you're scary to people like, Oh my God, she knows whatever I'm thinking. Da, 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 da. And yeah, you probably do. My big defense of that is I don't really care. And that might be a a weird way to go, but it's like, uh, yeah, I'm being read. I've got Chase Hughes. I got all these guys and they're dissecting me every minute. What am I going to do about it? Well, there's nothing I can do about it. So just move on. You, come across as while you're reading everybody, you're, you're very, very vulnerable yourself. And you're also not invincible in that. Like I'm going to describe myself because I'm selfish. It's my show, but I have a tendency where I can read people like very, very deeply, very, very quickly. Don't even know why I'm not trained. I just know things about them and I just sense them. But the more I get to know them, the dumber I get. Mm. So it's like if I come across them on a bus, I'll get all sorts of signals and just be like very intuitive and be able to sense a lot of things. But then as Mm -hmm. I get to know them more and more as a person, 
I I lose track. I, I lose my bearing. I well, people close to you, they can lie to you and get away with it versus a stranger. This yeah. is statistically scientifically proven because so your friends who you've always given the benefit of the doubt to your family, the people you're very close to, um, you'll overlook signs of deception versus if you were to read someone like me that you just met. Mm-hmm. So what you're talking about is 100 percent legit and you're not alone in this. Okay. And I, I wanted to ask you about that because you've mentioned some things that, you know, on the side interview, like you've had a business partner that's burned you. You've had other people, you know, who have, you know, done bad things. And I'm not I'm trying to make it, oh, this is a bad thing or whatever. It's, I think it's useful for people to be open to stepping back and really looking at the world around them. Listen, you know, people will ask me, how often do I get it wrong? And it's like, well, not, people don't write to me and say, hey, you got it wrong. You don't really, Often, no, there are a couple times I know for sure I got it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one time I guessed, uh, and I was so mad at myself. I was on the, I, I go on TV shows a lot. I was on Wendy Williams' show, and she was asking me about um, what's that actress? Uh, she talked about the chicken of the sea, blonde bombshell. Mm. Uh, she thought tuna fish was really chicken because they call it the chicken of the sea. I don't um, remember. Jessica. That. <laughs> Jessica and had this like hot and heavy romance with this guy. And I'm like, it's going to be hot and burn out fast. That was just me like shooting from the hip. It was just bullshit. Mm-hmm. It wasn't based on body language, a statement analysis, nothing. It was just like me being gossipy. And they're married now and have kids. So I'm like, okay, you know, I should put that on my website. Um, I did that TED talk and I talked about, um, I had an, uh, a business partner who embezzled over $50,000 for me. I was going through in vitro. I suffered a couple of miscarriages putting needles in my stomach every day. My mother was dying of breast cancer. It was her last year of her life. And um, when this business partner of mine or my manager, I called her when, when I needed her the most, um, she was doing the contracts. Mm. She was getting the money. She was then putting the money in my account to help me. And um, I wrote this book, You, you Can't Lie to Me. And uh, one of the chapters, I, I talk about Dane Cook, the comedian actor, his own brother embezzled. $10 million from him. And when they went, they, even in Maine, he, the brother, he used to sell the swag at the, at the events for Dane Cook. And at his house in uh, Maine, that is like condo in Maine on the water, uh, Dane Cook's brother had drywall, uh, $800,000 in cash behind drywall, stole from Jeez. his own brother. Christ. And Dane put him in jail. So I put this in my book. I was just writing the book. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, anyone who has your family, your friends, or your finances, you trust them, do a double check. Let this part of the book be a, a, a caution to you. And so I got a phone call from this woman, her name's Tracy, my manager. And she goes, I just deposited X amount of money in your bank, driving back to Boston for Christmas. I'm pregnant and newly pregnant, like six weeks pregnant. And normally I would say, awesome. I don't ask any questions, but because I put it in the book, I go, you know, I'm going to practice what I preach. So I say, awesome. Who is it for and which class did they sign up for? They say, she writes, Kathy Trahan, the September class. Well, this is December. Why Hmm. am I getting September's class money now? I don't remember her saying Kathy's going to pay late. And I went to dinner with Kathy when she was in town. I didn't hear her say, hey, thanks for letting me pay a little late. It's the end of the year. I need to move some money around. So I'm like, this is weird. So I would do what any person would do. I called Kathy. I go, when did you pay me? She paid me back in July. Six months earlier. Mm. So now I go, oh, holy shit. I've got a problem. 
And so, you know, at minimum of 50,000, he outlined it for me. Uh, Embezzlement is not a crime against me. It's a crime against the government. So there's no statute of limitations on embezzlement. Mm. It just matters that if the attorney, you know, the the attorney's going to take it or not. So for me, I go home. You don't understand. She's a single mother. I gave her daughter when she graduated from high school, a couple hundred bucks. I didn't care about the 50. She was an awesome worker. I made, I mean, I, she brought me into some of the biggest clients, Procter and Gamble. Like she was mm-hmm. so good at sales and she was polished and she looked good and she was so great. And I loved her. I loved her. We traveled together. We had room service together. I mean, for numerous years. And uh, I went home and I was devastated and I miscarried the next day. Jesus. So Christmas Eve, I miscarried. And my husband's like, oh, you've been miscarried. And I'm like, I miscarried. He goes, no, it's just your imagination. And I went back and I lost the baby. And so when I was doing that TED Talk, everyone that knows me told me not to tell that story. And people hammer me on on the comments for that, too. Huh, she's a body language expert. She can detect deception. She's doing a TED Talk on detecting deception. And her own business manager embezzled money. And everyone said, do not do it. And I go, I'm putting it in because A, it's true. And B, if it can happen to me, it can happen to you. And see if it can happen to me, stop beating yourself up because you didn't see that your spouse was cheating on you or that your kid has a drug addiction or that your business manager embezzled a ton of money from you. Like cut yourself a break. I do this for a living. I train the CIA, the FBI, Scotland Yard Police. I've done it now for almost 30 years. And it happened to me when I wasn't looking. It can happen to all of us. And so I told the story out of transparency and whether People hammer me or not, I did not, I do not regret telling that story um, because it's true. And and there's what's called a fraud triangle. Do you know what the fraud triangle is? I know you talked to a lot of us. Yes, I'm teaching you something you well, haven't learned. That. There you go. <laughs> you have the behavior people here. And then you got Selena Cisco here who, who, you know, Lena Cisco, who worked for, you know, NCIS. Sure. She shows a picture of the World Trade Center getting hit by an airplane, a second airplane. And she puts that on stage and she goes, I woke up one day. And my job was to figure out who did this. My name's Lena Sisko. I interviewed the Taliban at Guantanamo Bay. I'm like, so the fact she's my friend is like, thank you, Jesus. Uh, The best friend you could ever have. So if you're in this world. So uh, what was I saying here about? Fraud triangle. um, Oh, fraud triangle. So this is what happens. If you have other things going on in your life, people Mm -hmm. are going to get away with deception a lot easier because you're not paying attention. So the fraud triangle is, you have to have three sides of the, all three sides of the triangle have to be present for someone to take money from you and bezel. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'd love to meet Dane Cook one day and ask, I bet it, they have to be there, all three sides. Sure. They have to have access to the money. They have to have a change in financial circumstances. This Tracy, her daughter went to college, to Berkeley School of Music in Boston, uh-huh. and she got a scholarship. But it, didn't, it didn't cover lodging and her food. So she has a change in financial circumstances, access to money. She said, hey, your mother's got all this stuff going on. I'll just have people pay me and I'll pay you. Access to money, change in financial circumstances, and the last side is justifying mm-hmm. the borrowing of the money. When people are busted, embezzling, they often guess a tenth of what they actually stole. Mm. And so the justification is, I work my ass off. I'm only getting 30% from Janine or 20% or 15% or, mm. or Janine's making $2 million. I'm only making 600000 She never months. cared anyway. She just took me for granted. Yeah, that. she's not even going to know. I'm doing all this extra work. She doesn't even know about. Or I'm going to borrow it and I'll put it back. The next gig I get from her, I'm about to close this 30000 one. And when I get that money, I'll put it back and Janine won't know. 
it doesn't matter. So it's justifying. So all three sides of the, a lot of small businesses, chiropractors, dentists, hairdressers, if you are a small entrepreneur and you have a couple employees that work for you and they are, have access to your money, changing, all of a sudden they're going through a divorce or all of a sudden they have a fancy car, all of a sudden, boom, I'd be suspicious. You own a small jewelry store. We did a big investigation of a diamond store up the street that they thought an employee was stealing and it wasn't. You know what happened? I brought it. I have a team that works with me. Hmm. We interviewed everybody. I go, this one here is lying. Sorry, I'm like caught under the lights. <laughs> um, I go, this one here is not telling the truth about something. And I go, and I, I had to guess because I don't know. You can't, you can spot when someone's holding something back. Sure. You can spot when they're stressed. You can spot when there's something not telling you, but you don't know what the catalyst is, right? I'm sure you've heard this a hundred times. Like you have to get their baseline when their baseline changes. It's a hot spot, And we still don't know what the catalyst is. You know, what is it that they're not telling us? So I said, if I had a guess, I don't think she stole from you. These diamonds. I think she's effing with you. I think she took the bag of diamonds and has hid it behind one of these cat file cabinets. Oh, that wow. you keep the. I think she took the bag, <laughs> slid it behind. So they've never actually left the building. So she never actually stole them. But she's she's reading hot for me for deception because she knows they're in the store somewhere. They're just buried here somewhere. Mm. Guess what? They were behind the file cabinets. Oh, that's They moved funny. out all the file cabinets. That is funny. Wow. Okay. Anyway, that's my, did that answer your question about my vulnerability uh, or no? Beyond. Beyond. Anything else, I, which I, I, no, I really, no, I do appreciate that. And I wanted to ask you that for just that reason. I'm not, I'm not judging because I'm a dummy. I don't know, you know, what's going on with people. And not one person, not one told me to put that story in. Every single it. person in my orbit said, it's going to kill your credibility. Do not put it in. I go, you know what? Personally, I'm not attracted to perfect people. Mm -hmm. I like people that that are authentic. I like people who are like, wow, I really blew it there. You know, like I like people that are like, you know, I always say life is God always gives me reminders throughout life. Uh, on that note, you, um, in your book talked about people who are natural body language ex experts. You forgot one convicts. Oh yeah. And, and I'm only bringing that up because remember how you're talking about vulnerable, how you were talking about these things. There is nobody better at reading body language than those in prison who may die tomorrow. So do you know the quote? Do you know the sheep wolf quote? Uh, no. I, uh, I didn't make this up and I'm forgetting the cop who did it. Um, he's a, um, you'll have to have him on. I, I can get it for you. I'm friends with a guy named, Fra you should have Frank Marsh on. Frank mm -hmm. Marsh uh, worked at the behavioral unit at the FBI. He's going to be cool. retiring this um, he's a really cool guy. Um, and he talks about tattoos, like hidden meanings behind tattoos. He, he talks about a whole bunch of stuff, statement analysis, handwriting. Mm -hmm. But Frank Marsh, I'm forgetting the guy's name, but he works for Border Patrol, this one guy. So this is not my quote. And when he's off, when he's on break, this Border Patrol agent, and he gets out of his uniform, Eric, he puts on jeans and a T-shirt and he walks around the airport. And he says hello to everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. 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 Good morning. Just casually. Mm -hmm. And the first person that says, good morning, sir. Hello, sir. Good afternoon, sir. Because criminals who have something to hide get overly polite in law enforcement. So here, and then he'll, he'll go over to a border patrol, I mean, a um, customs agent and say, hey, take that guy right there in the black t-shirt with the, the headset on his head right there and the glasses, uh, take him into a secondary interview. I'll bring him. And I think it's like his rate is like 99.9% .9 there ha have something on them or in them. 
that's wow. supposed to not be there. And so the rule is, his world is, the wolves can spot the wolves, and the wolves can spot the sheep. But the sheep can't spot anyone because they're too busy grazing. See, when my mm. mother was dying of breast cancer, triple negative, and it spread to her liver, and, and, and then had three brain aneurysms at the same time, I'm going through in vitro. I already had a couple of miscarriages. I'm now pregnant. Uh, I'm just putting needles in my, in my stomach. I'm, I'm suffering in a million ways. Uh, my mother's my best friend, was my best friend. Um, what happens? I became a sheep. I'm vulnerable. I disappear. I'm no longer a wolf. Sure. I'm a sheep, right? I'm imploding. I'm not looking for people who are going to screw me over. Like, cause I would never do that to people. Mm-hmm. I am generosity. I am open. I am power. I'm a healer, right? I'm not any, I'm not a person who would ever do any of that shit that has been done to me. But that, those that, you, that, that you resist persists. I think I attract these people sometimes. Mm-hmm. So what happened was the wolves can spot the wolves and the wolves can spot the sheep, but the sheep can't spot anyone. So what you're talking about with convicted felons or someone who's on death row, is there a wolf? They are, they have their visual information channel turned up, their auditory information channel turned up, but it doesn't, they may be good at spotting it, but it doesn't mean they're good at getting away with lying. Even Ted Bundy. Oh, no, 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 Ted, no. I wasn't, I was talking about them spotting it, not doing it. Totally spot it. Well, they've taken child molesters to parks. You may know this, Eric. And convicted child molesters, they take them to a park and they say, okay, which kid would you grab? They've taken rapists to parks. Which woman would you attack? Which woman would you rape? Where are the child molesters here? If you were to guess which, who's a sexual predator here, who would you be? And, and child molesters go, that guy right there. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> that guy right here, and here's why. This, 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 this. And they're accurate as hell. Right. They are. Well, now... One last thing, because I'm definitely, I want to have you back. I want to have you back with the uh, ladies who are officially the, uh, the profiler task force, which I think is an awesome name. I sent you a video earlier and I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it or not. There's a, a, a backstory with it. And the reason why I'm uncertain is I don't like doing things for stunts or for salaciousness and things like that. And the person who is in the video is a major part of why I'm a podcaster. So I consider myself actually a fan of the person in the video. He hosted a podcast called Mixed Mental Arts with a, another friend, um, Hunter Motts. So I've never met him in person, but he's been an influence to me and I have looked up to him, his very clever questioning, his style of interviewing. I really admire the person. However, all these charges came down I am not an expert. I talked to a lot of experts and I saw that there were two videos and I think those videos are probably representative whether there's any kind of leakage or not. And that's, that's why I wanted to give you both videos is I feel that the second video may color the first. I don't know for sure, but I just wanted to see if you had an initial read about the video or videos. All right. So his name's Brian Callen. Yes. I don't know him. Right. I know, you know, once you sent this to me, I started researching him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's connected. Is he connected with the Joe Rogan yeah. crew kind of? Yeah. So I, I saw some comedians talking saying, you know, this is Amy Schumer really trying to, you know, get involved and in trying to bring him sure. down or Joe Rogan. It's, I don't know. I don't know that whole world. Uh, I just know in that first video. Okay. Even mm. just before you called, I was like, okay, 
I want to figure out a couple things here. Um, I'm going to give you a tip. If you did not do something, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do an exercise with you really quick. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hypothetically. All right. T- 22 years ago. Okay. Eric, Only 22 years ago, there were three women that say you gave their kids marijuana. You sold their kids marijuana mm-hmm. and they're all out in the media right now. Did you do that? No. Did you do that? No. See, the strongest denial is no, first of all. Second of all, granted, I'm asking you a question versus this first video you sent sure. me is him making a statement. So it's not someone asking a question. So let me first b- say bye. I hope he makes more statements because I so I can analyze it more. Mm-hmm. Okay, him. Um, however, if I was his friend, I would say, stop making statements. You're sucking at it. Hey, everybody. Brian Callen here. You know, when you're in a situation like I am, uh, you get a lot of advice from a lot of different people. And it usually falls into two different categories. Either they tell you to post a statement and disappear, or they say, lay low and let the news cycle pass you by. Well, for better or for worse, I'm not doing any of that. I never thought in a million years that I'd be sitting here defending myself against something I did not do 21 years ago. So, This is me saying that I categorically and absolutely deny all the allegations against me. So his statements are not helping him. And you'll get a ton of people like me saying, stop talking, not because some PR company is telling him to stop, because in my world, there's convince, not convey. You just, you conveyed an answer. Did you sell Mm -hmm. cigarettes 22 years ago? No, because you didn't do it. I can ask you a hundred different ways. The answer is still going to be no. You don't then have to add, and granted, you're no, you know, Brian Callen and his reputation and company sure. and business on the line. Like my 15-year-old son saying, Mom, he's trying to convince me. He's like, Mom, you don't understand. This whole guy's career is on the line, you know? So Which it is, um, and that's part of why I want to be careful with this and not it, – it, look, statement analysis ring bells off the chart when I saw it. That's so the, here's oh. what I don't know if you ever saw the apology. Um, it's my favorite apology, um, which is by um, Jonah Hill. Mm-hmm. Jonah Hill, some negative language for the LBGT community. Uh, he went on uh, with Jimmy Fallon and apologized. Mm-hmm. Hit Google on it. Authentic, goes right to the point. It's not funny. I, I, I am sorry. I should have never said this, right? Brian, before I get to body language, over 60 words he uses for this video mm-hmm. before he says he didn't do it. So in my world, what that's called is this pausing technique. It's like a smoke screen. Okay. So he is getting way far away. He should have, if I was his friend or if I was his coach, I, by the way, I sometimes coach celebrities mm-hmm. and then I sell con- sign confidentiality agreements. Uh, some big, big, big celebrities. One, I, by the way, I sat in a toilet that like had one of those buttons that like cleaned everything up and I, I didn't know how to turn it off. So I couldn't leave. And I was like in this celebrity bathroom and I'm like, this is, I was pregnant. I'm like, I can't turn this device off. I'm stuck on a toilet. <laughs> so Brian Callen, he may be a nice guy. I don't know if he did it or he didn't do it, but I know this. He took over 60 words before he told us he didn't do it. It is a weak denial statement analysis wise. What he should be saying is exactly what people are accusing him of. I didn't do this stuff or I didn't do these things or I didn't do what I'm accused of. These are weak denials. It's better to say I did not. I say the same thing with Joe Biden when he was coming out, making some denials. Be very direct. Otherwise, it's weak denials. So you mm. want to say I did not 
kiss a woman without her permission and pushed her against the wall. I did not rape, blah, blah, blah. And what happens is um, when we are telling the truth, we'll go right for the jugular. Like um, Chris Christie, I don't know if you remember this. Mm-hmm. And some people may not agree with me. Chris Christie, when they closed the bridge years back, because people didn't vote for him on the other side, they, he, there was this bridge, bridge bridge closing. It was a big deal, right? I don't know sure. if you remember. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. So Chris Christie comes out in a press conference. Now, Bill Clinton, when he lied, he said, uh, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Mm-hmm. Monica, right? And he shakes his head, yes. He calls her that woman, then says her name. He points in one direction, looks in another, and then he takes no questions. Clinton takes no questions. Boom. Chris Christie gets up and says, listen, my team are liars. It's very hard to find a, a politician, a celebrity to call someone flat out a liar unless, in fact, they're liars. So mm. I need to be very direct. So Chris Christie comes out and says, what? I interviewed my my chief PR person, Michelle, blah, blah, blah. She looked me in the face and lied. I interviewed blah, blah, blah. Stephen, da, da, da. He said this. He lied. They're liars. I said this. I mean, he breaks it down detail by detail. Okay. Mm. So if we're riding you, okay, I want you to be very direct. At first, of course, the best denial would be no if I'm asking a question. So he takes over 60 words. I was at 56 when our call started, and he still wasn't apologizing. So I think it comes at like 67. I'm going to mm-hmm. count it up. He then says that he doesn't, he didn't do this stuff, and he nods his head yes, okay, like this. Now, this is not a good tell on detecting deception, but I definitely put it on my list to keep an eye out for. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you're in a baseball game and you see your favorite team win, you could be like, this was amazing. Mm-hmm. Because second conversation going on in your head that says, I didn't think you were going to do it. Or this oh, was, yeah. you know, so the head shaking in one direction or another is very, uh, it's a weak tell for deception because his especially, dialogue, Brian, especially if somebody um, nods when they say no, because they might be punctuating. I didn't. But- I wanted you to see me say that. I didn't want to post some stale statement. I wanted you to hear that come out of my mouth. I have been characterized as someone that no one, no one who knows me, not my friends, not my family, not my fans would ever recognize. And that's because that's not who I am. That is not what I, that's not something I could do. Those are things not never the things that I could, I couldn't do. Those are not things that I would ever do. That is not how I have ever lived my life. Yes, like Brian, yeah, Brian could be saying, oh, or he could be like, I knew this was going to happen. This comes from Amy Schumer. This comes from blah, blah, blah. I knew, you know, I didn't do it, you know, but nevertheless, it's typically like this. So this is kind of, it's it's on there, but it's a weak, it's a sure. weak one for me. He gives us extra eye contact. So typically when people are lying, they'll, they'll, unless you're a kid, kids look away. By the time we're 20, we figure out to give a little extra eye contact to make my point. And so his baseline changes across the board. I watched a bunch of interviews with him. So his baseline is changing. He's got some head nodding. He's giving us instead and he, instead of declaring he did not be very specific. Mm-hmm. I did not do what blah, blah, blah said. She's a liar. I did not do what she said and say exactly what they're saying. So this is like Michael Jackson. Did you molest these kids? He said, I never hurt children. Right. We saw the same thing. Jerry Sandusky. It's called minimizing language. And so when someone did you rape her? I never forced myself on someone. No, you should be using the language, right? Even cops mm. use minimizing language to get you to confess. If you rape someone, I would never say, did you rape her? I would say, did you force yourself on her? I'm going right. to use it to make it a safe environment for you to tell me the truth. But if you are being accused of something, you, you use the harsh language. You say flat out, 
You know, I didn't do it. You know, if you go, if we go old school and we go back to Brian McNamee up on the hill, and I don't know if you remember this with, with Roger Clemens, Roger Clemens said he never did drugs, but Brian McNamee's up there saying, yeah, he gave him steroids. Roger Clemens never called Brian McNamee a liar. He didn't say that guy right there. He's lying. That's a lie. He is a liar. And so what I would like to see Brian Callen do is to call these women liars, flat out liars, to repeat exactly what they're saying. And know what else? That apology was to me was was really a waste of his time, probably hurt him more than helped him. He starts talking about hashtag me, too. And quite honestly, to be honest, first of all, never put the statement to be honest in a statement that we're assuming is honest right out of the gate. So you're telling us about this apology. But this didn't happen. This didn't happen. This didn't happen. And to be honest with the hashtag me too thing. Well, is that implying everything else wasn't honest? Because That's why did butt. you everything before the butt? <laughs> yeah. Why? Why? We're assuming from the moment you started talking, dude, that everything is honest. So you don't have to. I get what he's saying. He's saying it took him a while to catch on on the value of what the hashtag me too is and how important it is. Mm-hmm. He just didn't need that language there. And by the way, this is not, this is not a video about cancel culture. This is not a video, it's certainly not a video about the Me Too movement. I I happen to believe, and it's taken me to be completely honest, it's taken me a while to come to this conclusion to understand this. I believe that the Me Too movement is one of the most important movements of my lifetime because for the first time in history, it gives women recourse against the abuse of power. And that makes the world a better place. And that is not a political statement. That's just fair play. And I believe in fair play. And is it relevant? That, that's it's the other problem. Is it relevant to the statement or is that a... The- that's smoke screening. So I, this is what I would like to... This is how I would have liked him to say. I would have liked him to say, Hi, my name's Brian Callen. Uh, I'm being accused of raping a girl 22 years ago. Her name is blah, 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 if we know it. I'm being accused of doing this. I'm being accused of this. I did not do that. I did not rape blah, blah, blah. I did not force kiss, da, 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 da. I did not do this. I did not do that, period. I will take any questions that you have. I did not do this. Button it up and call it a day. But I also believe in due process. And we live in a very strange time where anybody can make an allegation against you and you are guilty until proven innocent. It, it's just a fact that social media and the press alone can act as judge, jury, and executioner. And I don't think that's good for anybody. And by the way, I don't know how to fix that. I don't know how to fix that. I, I don't think anybody in particular is even to blame. But when something like this happens, this is pretty much the only way you can defend yourself. So this is me standing up and, and, and saying that I have been falsely accused of terrible things that I did not do. And that's what I have to say. Thank you for listening. And I want to thank my fans for rallying around me. I, 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 it, your comments mean so much to me. And to be honest with you, I need them right now. Um, I, I will be taking a leave of absence, obviously, from my podcast. Um, uh, and... Uh, that's that's pretty much it. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Once he gets into the smoke screen about hashtag me too, it's it's dumbing down his whole mm-hmm. saying I do it. Plus, not only that, he does what's called character testimony, where he's mm-hmm. saying this is Everyone what Jesse Smollett. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this Jesse Smollett did this. What's his name? He just died of the coronavirus that ran for president a couple of years ago. Um, Herman King. Herman King. 
Herman Cain's like, just ask Herman Cain. Herman Cain never sexually harassed someone. Herman Cain would be the first one to tell you. I'm like, aren't you Herman Cain? Like he's doing, he's doing his own, you know, his own testimony about himself. He's talking to himself in the third person. So what do we hear Brian Callen say? I am never capable. Anyone who knows me, anyone I'm friends with, any of my fans, they'll be the first to tell you I'm not capable of doing something like this. I would never do something like this. This is convinced, not convey. Be short and sweet. Truthful people convey, liars try to convince us. So for me, his statement is, if I graded the statement, it's a D minus on the truth scale. An A being like of the best statement I've ever heard for a truthful person. Okay, Does it mean it doesn't mean he did it right because he could be so offended that he's overcompensating. He mm. might be hammered on this hashtag me, me too stuff online. And so that comes up in his brain. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a million reasons why he might say it. I, if, if he ends up watching this, I, I'd love to say, I'd love to interview you. Um, mm. So it doesn't mean he did it. It doesn't mean, you know, I'm kind of bittersweet on this because I have a bias. A, I was molested as a kid by a neighbor. Mm. Uh, when I was six or seven years old. So I have a bias there um, because I remember uh, after it all went down, it was just a couple of things, but it, I was undressed sitting on his lap and he did some stuff. My mother called me for dinner. I walked across the street, but I can't tell you what I was wearing that day. I could tell you where I was sitting. I could tell you I was climbing the tree before the guy had me call, go in the shed. I could tell you the same. I don't know what I ate for dinner. So I have a bias that you can remember some details and not. This happened with Judge Kavanaugh case with Dr. Ford. I call myself on my biases. So I said, hey, I have a bias because I was molested as a kid. But I also have a bias as a mother of three sons. Mm-hmm. That today we take women's words over men's word. And I think it's, and, I, and my sons are white. So if you are a white male today, and, and not just, you know, by the way, if you're a black male, your parents worry about if you're going to come home alive or dead. Mm-hmm. If you're a white male, our biggest worry is, is my kid going to be falsely accused of something? Now, I said this at a webinar and I lost a client because of it. She said, statistically, women who have been attacked, statistically, they don't lie about it. I said, okay, I'm not saying statistically. I'm saying I have a bias Mm -hmm. as a mother of three children, boys, Mm -hmm. that I tell them if a girl is drunk on the side of the road, I mean, they're 15 and five, but I tell my 15-year-old, as you get older, if you see a girl, you cannot go near her. You have to call 911. You can't be anywhere near her if she's drunk or falls or anything. Because we don't know it could turn around. And and today we believe automatically the women. And I think that that's you are. I think he even said this, Brian, that you are found uh, guilty and you have Mm -hmm. to prove yourself innocent. And I'm disgusted by that. I do think that that's the case here with Ford and Kavanaugh case. I think they were both lying. Mm. I think they did fool around. And I think her perception is different than his perception. Mm-hmm. And I also think with Brian Callen, I mean, do you remember what you were doing over 20 years ago okay. on June 10th? God, no. I don't, don't remember, remember last week. I don't remember it either. But if a woman was in an awkward situation and she didn't feel good about it, she may remember it in pretty good detail, too. So and then, you know, I saw coming. Someone said about Brian that um, one of the women even applied to be like his wife on a sitcom. And it was like a chemistry test. And. If, in fact, she had gotten it, it's an agreement that you would then be his wife on the sitcom for five years. Mm-hmm. And why would she do something like that if, in fact, he had uh, you know, assaulted her? Um, you know what? I'd love to see interviews of the women. You know, that's a great sure. question. You know, um, I got to tell you, I've had some some creepy things happen to me. I had a guy married at ATF, super religious, wearing a 
across, massage my feet under a table. He's married, his numerous kids at a Hooters. So am I going to tell anyone on that? Am I going to file a complaint? Because what are they going to say? Why are you at Hooters? Right. Why are you hanging Hooters with this married guy? You know, and he's still my friend today. So you could say now all of a sudden, if I come out because he's running for politician, you've been Facebook friends with this guy for 20 years. Now, all of a sudden you're coming out saying he cheats on his wife and he does inappropriate things. I'm, that's not my brand. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I don't I don't do that stuff. I think a Brian Callens for me. Um, if he did these things, in my personal opinion, if he did these things, he should be answered to them, apologize for them. Uh, I'm big on what's your character today? What's mm -hmm. his character yesterday, last year? That stupid shit I did at my in my 20s. You know, I'm 50 now. Like, I'm not justifying if he did anything wrong. If he did it wrong, he should he should have consequences for it. And, you know, I think be careful of calling the kettle black. You know, what stupid shit were, were we all doing? I know sure. a ton of women that do inappropriate things to men. A ton. Just men aren't going to come out and say they feel, you know, they felt sexually harassed by it. Well, I don't know. Perfect. I'm big on, but it's a new environment today. You know, people feel safer to come out. That's true. And there's both good and bad in that, like everything else. And that's a perfect place to close. <laughs> I think the truth will come out one way or another. That's for sure. Mm. Um, the truth will come out. The truth will come out. And um, whoever is the victim here, maybe all of them are victimized. Uh, I'm a prayer person. So I'm say prayers for them tonight since we talked about this topic. And uh, I got to tell Brian, uh, stop talking. Uh, if you're telling the truth, that's great. Uh, answer to it, you know, get on whatever show they have today, 60 minutes, 2020, Joe let Rogan. them in. Yeah. Joe Rogan, you know, let, let, well, Joe Rogan's your friend. So you might throw some softies, but you know, go sure. to someone that might ask him some, myself and Lee, come to our show. It's, it's go. called, we'd love to interview him on our show with myself and my three fellow experts. So it's called, uh, and if people want to check it out, it's called, uh, the profiler task force. Yeah. .com. So we're going to launch it. It's an online show. Um, I think Amazon has already picked it up. So really? we're going to start Facebook live. Yeah. Susan was just telling me. So uh, Amazon is, I, I, you know, I don't have the paper signed yet, but I think it's a, it's a green light on Amazon. So it'll be a show on Amazon prime. Sweet. Okay. Well, we've got to get you all on here for the live stream so you can face the audience together. Oh yes. A hundred percent. So yeah, and we'll uh, we'll uh, each bring our analysis, and we stay in our lane. Even though we do, we each do a little bit of it all. Uh, we stay in our lane. So I'll be the body language expert, and Lena is the expert on decoding statement analysis and, and interrogation. Mm -hmm. And Susan is all about face reading and what your jaw and nose and shape of your face says. And then my buddy Michelle Dresbold, author of Sex Lies and Handwriting, is doing the handwriting analysis, which is fascinating she uh, did she talk about elvis presley to you she did not so that may be something that can come up put that on your to-do list about elvis's signature and what uh what his wife once said about elvis and his sex life that might shock your audience next time you have michelle on Ooh, a tease jenny this has been more fun than i could ever imagine and thank you so much thank you thanks for doing what you're doing buddy you're making a difference i appreciate you you know, pouring into the world and helping us, you know, look at our world in a different way and know that there are no absolutes. And I think we're all trying to be the best versions of ourselves. And, uh, you know, you love people up and you're giving them, them the information to make smarter decisions with their life. And I think that'll be your legacy. 
safety. You know, when you, the pearly gates come, I think <laughs> you've got good news. When you get up there, I think you got some good news, buddy. So thanks for pouring into the world and, and helping us all educate people to make smarter decisions with their life. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please consider subscribing for free. And I mean for free. It is always free. There's no billing, anything else. You can subscribe in your player of choice, which is probably right in your hands. Or you can go to unstructuredpod.com. And there are plenty of links there. Thank you so much. And in the spirit of sharing, here's a couple more shows you may want to check out. I did not grow up with very much money. Money's energy. Money is something that, that really scares me. You had about 60 grand in debt. Money isn't the answer. Somebody should just give me a lot of money. My dream was to be the WWE wrestler, but you realize that your dreams change over the years. Money's a tool. It's a key to a gate. And at the other side of the gate is the things that you really want to do with your life. It's the things that matter most to you. It's pursuing those values that make you ultimately happy. Listen to Inspired Money at inspiredmoney.fm. Hey, I'm Studio Steve. And I'm Veronica. And we, and we are, are the, the Pod, Pod Sounds We have a podcast all about podcasting. We cover everything related to the craft. How to start a podcast, how to improve a podcast, how to promote a podcast, and how to reach a bigger audience. So come check out our podcast, Pod Sound School. We're on all of the podcast players or on our website, podsoundschool.com. We are dedicated to provide our podskis with up-to-date, easy, and actionable information, sometimes outrageous and always fun. And now, back to your regularly scheduled programming.